I'm Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 32 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, Claire Hine Blanton speaks to voting not only like her life depends on it, but like the lives of the vulnerable and the marginalized around her depend on it too, in her essay, I Am Weary, Let Me Vote. The Reverend Sandra Dorsonville discusses walking a new walk, engaging in practices that build bridges and break barriers. The Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell speaks to her experience with Zoom memorials. And the Reverend Margaret Marquison teaches us six ways a Roman emperor can help us today. Claire Hine Blinton is an ordained Baptist minister in Houston, Texas. She is currently studying for her PhD in Systematic Theology and Ethics from the University of Aberdeen. Here she is reading her essay, I Am Weary, Let Me Vote. In February, affectionately known in my circles as the Before Time, I wrote an article for The Christian Citizen about the intersection of politics and faith. This primer, in my mind, was a starting place for thoughtful responses by Christians to this election year, surely the event that would capture the nation's attention most fervently in 2020. And then March hit, and the pandemic started. COVID-19 certainly turned attention away from the political primaries in some states and raised questions about how to safely organize an election in the time of a global pandemic. And then the end of May, beginning of June, saw an outburst of frustration over the continued systematic racism and police brutality against Blacks and other people of color in America. As the time leading up to November shrinks, every day there seems to be a new reminder that our voice as citizens is crucial. My professional work engages with the theology of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, specifically on his theology of the church and state. Recently, colleagues and friends have asked what it all amounts to, and I tell them that For Bonhoeffer, sometimes being a Christian who bears responsibility for one's neighbor means turning public witness into political witness. For some of us, this is becoming exhausting. We are juggling careers, familial responsibilities, teaching our kids at home, trying to maintain some sense of normalcy, and yet we are also called to both actively protest and socially distance to put the spare time we have to be better informed about our larger world and to participate within it as a kinder and more enlightened and inclusive citizen. But I am wearied by the news every day. Recently, my news feed was filled with stories about forced hysterectomies and unsafe conditions at an ICE detention center in Georgia. Before that, It was news articles about the current president allegedly intentionally misleading Americans about how serious the coronavirus was at the outset of the pandemic. Locally in Houston, protests have been ongoing since the August 22nd murder of Nicolas Chavez after officers were discharged to a potential suicide in progress and Chavez was shot 24 times. Four officers involved in the shooting were fired in early September. Regularly, Google gives me articles about various people across the country having wild confrontations over the simple act of being required to wear a mask. On top of all this, preliminary evidence shows not only that those who contract COVID-19 might suffer lingering effects long afterwards, but that even those unaffected by the disease, especially teenagers, are suffering from mental health decline as the pandemic continues. Part of me wants to turn off the computer and television and iPhone alerts and hibernate until this is all better, but that's no longer an option. Bonhoeffer was correct. 
Being a Christian means bearing response suffering and standing alongside my neighbors to ensure that they are safe. Our country feels more acutely unsafe than it has in the entirety of my life. It is time for engagement and action. As I said in February, we are both Christians and citizens. This upcoming election will not fix everything, but I fear that unless something changes, we will continue in this downhill spiral. God does not put certain rulers in place. Instead, that is left to us as citizens. We must spend the next few weeks both with bowed heads in prayer and with our eyes and ears alert to what is happening in our communities. Change begins at the local level and continues upward. Until this year, I was fairly cynical that my vote could really make a difference. But this year I will vote, not only like my life depends on it, but like the lives of the vulnerable and marginalized around me depend on it too. The Reverend Sandra Dorsonville is Director of Short-Term Mission for International Ministries. Here now, she joins us with her essay, Walking a New Walk, Engaging in Practices that Build Bridges, Break Barriers. My voice to confront racism was formed in the 1960s and 1970s, living through the era of decolonization in several countries in Africa. My childhood and adolescent years in Central, East, and West Africa and in Italy were interwoven with racism, privilege, and oppression, and the richness, respect, and love of cross-cultural ways of living. As a second grader at a Christian school in Bangui, in the Central African Republic, I was denied an education because of the color of my skin. As a teenager and into adulthood in the United States, I continued to be confronted by the evil of racism. By God's grace, my passion for mission, kingdom building, and my deep desire to love my neighbor has not wavered. But the call of the prophet Micah to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God has not been easy. Jesus' commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself permeates my heart. God is love. As an instrument of God's peace, mercy, and love, I choose to join and equip others to break racial barriers, be a bridge builder in the face of injustices, and stand against the destructive systemic nature of racism. We are all made in God's image. Therefore, as God's people, we ought to be better. Since spring 2020, the world has been catapulted into a season of old and new pandemics. Images of the violent and public death of George Floyd were a flashback to Bloody Sunday, March 7, 1965, when beatings of God's sons and daughters took place on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. The evil of racism and its systemic nature has touched many doors, pulpits, households, faith-based and secular work environments. How should we respond? Clergy face an urgency to sharpen truth-telling and be God's instruments of mercy, peace, and love. Self-examination processes such as the ignition practice of examine invite daily self-reflection to help practitioners see, notice, and reflect 
on God at work in daily life. Beyond self-reflection, it is time to engage in courageous, spirit-led conversations regarding race relations. Dare to uphold humanity as created in God's image and deconstruct racial divisions. No longer say, I see no color when I see you, but continue to build and unite God's beloved community, the human race. To foster engagement, help break uncomfortable silences, and develop self-awareness practices that guide individual and corporate actions, conversation should be guided by the following principles. Enter God's presence with a willing heart and listening ears. Enter God's presence with an open mind. Honor human dignity. As you move forward in conversation with others, adopt the following practices and pay attention to the questions they prompt. Notice, Jesus said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. As you observe the injustices of racism around you, how does the spirit stir the eyes of your heart? How have you extended the peace and love of Christ to others? When have you chosen to look away? Accept. God directs our steps. In their hearts, humans plant their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. How have you benefited from the evil of racism through your actions and privilege? Have you chosen to stay silent in board meetings, policy discussions, or church councils while ignoring the impact these decisions have on sisters and brothers of color absent from these gatherings? Act. Follow God's directions for hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Are there ways you choose to invite the one who does not look like you into conversation? How have you shown God's love to your neighbor recently? Decide. Facilitate a heart of righteousness. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6 8. What can you do to help break the codes of systemic racism in your daily life? Who else can you invite into this conversation who looks like you? Who can you pray for who doesn't look like you? Walk. Walk a new walk, being merciful even as your Father is merciful. Luke. Chapter 6, verse 36. What values will you uphold that embrace human dignity? What phrases or words will you filter out of your vocabulary as a concrete act to fight against racial injustice? These practices and questions can help facilitate necessary conversations to help bridge the racial divide. They may help raise awareness within yourself and others of the evil of systemic racism and oppression and of the ways 
we have strayed from God's mission. If nothing else, these practices can start an internal redemptive process to be better. The Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell is pastor of Queen Anne Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington, and ministry associate of social media for the Evergreen Association of American Baptist Churches USA. Here she is reading her essay, Zoom Memorials. A close friend of mine died from colon cancer at the beginning of September. If this wasn't 2020, if COVID-19 had not interrupted our lives in so many ways, we would gather in person. Friends and family would fly in. We would hug her family and each other. Friends and family members would share memories from a microphone and there would be tissues in every row. It is 2020 and COVID-19 kept us from meeting in person. It kept some family from gathering in person. It kept friends from giving each other hugs. However, It didn't stop us from assembling together and seeing each other's faces. It didn't stop us from praying. It didn't stop us from sharing memories and photos and honoring our friend's life. It didn't stop us from caring for the family grieving. We held our memorial on Zoom. I had the honor of presiding at her memorial service, and despite all the things we could not do, There were things we could do differently because of Zoom that we wouldn't have if 2020 hadn't happened. There were people who attended online who might not have been able to travel or get the time off from work to attend. Another feature that was helpful with Zoom was the chat window. Public speaking is difficult for many people, and some only have a few words they want to share. Throughout the service, People were invited to share in the chat, and many shared their prayers, memories, and kind thoughts. The chat can be easily saved and those messages shared with the family, or can be printed later in a different format, similar to a guest book we might have at an in-person memorial service. My friend was a mother of two young children. Her children were present for the memorial service on Zoom with their dad, but one of the wonderful decisions we made was to record this service. I was concerned that it might be too much for them, and they might want to leave the room, but would miss all the wonderful memories shared of their mother. We tend to think of taking pictures and recording memorials and funerals as a social faux pas. For this family, for their two young boys, Having the recording of everyone sharing these wonderful memories of their mom is a special gift that 2020 has given that they will be able to return to. It is easy to record on Zoom. It is a simple press of a button. The recordings can either be processed to the Zoom cloud or downloaded to your computer. This memorial service held over 120 accounts in attendance which means for many of those names that appeared on the screen, there was more than one person as couples and families were on one account together. Early on, a friend offered to help host the Zoom call so that I as the officiant would not have to do the technical side of things, such as letting people in from the waiting room, muting everyone, or playing videos. A second friend monitored the chat and raised hand features during the time when people were invited to share. 
My two helpers and I prepared by doing a practice run with the video and sound and tried out all the features to make sure we understood how they worked. I transferred hosting to the first friend so she could run the Zoom meeting. The order of service was sent ahead of time to all the speakers, readers, and the host, so she would know who to unmute in what order. All of the speakers joined 15 minutes before the service began to make sure we could see and hear them, and also to know what name their Zoom account appeared as or if they needed to change it, so the host would know who to unmute. When we opened the service for those who wished to speak to share a few words, we used the raise hand and chat features for people to indicate they would like to speak. The second helper kept track of those names and let the first helper know who was next to unmute. There were some things we learned quickly as the service began. We began with a slide that had music, much like the music that would play as a prelude to the service while people are being seated. Instead, this was while people were entering from the waiting room. The technical difficulty we did not practice for was that the pop-ups from Zoom to allow people to enter from the waiting room, who joined after the service began, blocked the video from broadcasting. The pop-ups would also stop the video and sound every time. At the last minute, the family ended up sharing their screen to play the video so the host could let people in. We had practiced the video and sound, but had not realized when people came in from the waiting room that it would block the video. The second thing we learned was the importance of texting off Zoom between the host, officiant, and the other helper. It was too easy to lose track in the Zoom chat, even when chatting privately, and miss a message. We used our phone messaging instead, and it worked well. Another suggestion from our experience is to make sure that the Zoom host has, in parentheses, host next to their name. Some messaged me that they wanted to speak next, so I had to message the host to unmute them. If you indicate this person in the chat and have, in parentheses, host next to their name, that will help. Overall, this was one of the most beautiful memorial services I have ever experienced. Because of the features of Zoom, many more people were able and willing to participate. Zoom allowed for more than one way to participate, by voice and by text. Zoom allowed for us to record the service in a way that was respectful and will provide memories for my friend's family, especially her children. While there may be many reasons to not hold a Zoom service and to wait until we can gather in person, there is also a beautiful new way for us to gather collectively, to grieve and share memories, and to honor a person's life in this COVID-19 world until we can gather in person. I imagine that in a post-COVID world, we may still want to take advantage of this technology, especially for family and friends who are unable to travel or have medical conditions that would make it dangerous to be in person. Or... In the case of such tragic losses, where there are young children who may not remember, this gives an opportunity for them to hear the stories when they are older and more mature to understand what has happened and how much their parent was loved and is missed.
the Reverend Margaret Markson helps ministers do their work without wearing out or burning out through ministry coaching, presentations, and online resources, which can be found at margaretmarcuson.com. She joins us this week with her essay, Six Ways a Roman Emperor Can Help Us Today. My book group just read Marcus Aurelius' Meditations. Marcus was the Roman emperor from 161 to 180. Reading Marcus has helped me keep my wits about me through these days of pandemic, political turmoil, and burning fires across the West where I live. Marcus was a follower of a school of thought known as Stoicism. We now use the word Stoic to mean not affected by feeling. Yet Stoicism with a capital S doesn't mean not having feelings. It's a complex philosophy. Stoics like Marcus sought to implement the practice of focusing on ourselves and our own responses rather than being frustrated with external circumstances and people we have no control over. Marcus's Meditations is a book of reflections he wrote for himself as he sought to face the challenges of ruling the Roman Empire. He lived through the time of two plagues and faced down the possibility of civil war, not to mention navigating the difficulties of court politics. Marcus sought to look at himself and his behavior and what were the best decisions he could make as a leader. He did his best to focus on his own response rather than blaming others. Here are six ways I'm trying to use Marcus' ideas as I navigate these times. One, focus on myself and what I can control in this moment. It's much less stressful and more effective than spinning around in my mind about what others are doing, have done, or might do, or about what I've done in the past, which is over and done with. Marcus says, don't waste the rest of your time here worrying about other people. It will keep you from doing anything useful. A Lutheran pastor in one of my coaching groups, Reverend Bob Lewis, says, I'm letting go of being upset about people in the community who refuse to wear masks or social distance. I just focus on my decisions and what I can do to keep myself and others safe from COVID-19. Two, notice my thoughts. I want to pay attention to what I'm thinking and recognize that just because I have the thought doesn't mean it is true or helpful. As Marcus said, everywhere at each moment, you have the option to accept this event with humility, to treat this person as he should be treated, to approach this thought with care, so that nothing irrational creeps in. Meditative prayer is a wonderful way to practice this and to place it in a Christian context. Each day I sit down for at least a few minutes and just breathe and in God's presence notice what I'm thinking and feeling and let it go into God's care. Then through the day I try to prayerfully notice my own responses to events, people, and even the news. Three, let go of my expectations that others will behave a certain way. 
In a high anxiety time like this, I can expect that people will sometimes not live up to their own standards, let alone mine. Marcus says, when you wake up in the morning, tell yourself, the people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surly. None of them can hurt me, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. We were born to work together. Well, most of the people I connect with day to day are not arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surly. These words help me accept the ups and downs of human behavior. They help me relate with more love and acceptance toward the people I'm closest to, church people, and the people I read about in the news. The less I need people to behave a certain way, the freer I will be and the more energy I will have to do my own work. Four, be clear about what I need to do and do it without spending a lot of energy spinning my wheels. Marcus says, if you seek tranquility, do less, or more accurately, do what's essential. Do less, better. Rather than panicking about what might be ahead of us, I want to simply look at what is in front of me and do it. Some days I do better than others, but I know it's an ongoing practice. Five, don't complain. Marcus says, don't be overheard complaining about life at court, not even to yourself. No matter how many challenges I may face on any given day, I have plenty to eat and a place to sleep. I have access to more people, ideas, and information than even a Roman emperor, the most powerful person in his world, could have dreamed of. Six, take the long view. Marcus often looks back at previous emperors and notes they are now long gone. Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died, and the same thing happened to both. He reminds himself, the span we live is small, small as the corner of the earth in which we live it. Ironically, people are still reading his meditations 1800 years later. Sometimes when I get anxious about something, my husband, a natural stoic, will say, will this matter in 10 years? Mostly, the answer is no. As Christian leaders, we can also trust that God has that long view, even in the extreme challenges we face today. God loves and cares for us today, tomorrow, and forever. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thank you to this week's guests, Claire Hine Blanton, the Reverend Sandra Dorsonville, the Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell, and the Reverend Margaret Markison. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Gagey. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The 
Christensis and editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.